Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kishanu b'mitzvotah v'tivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Ve'arevna Adonai Eloheinu et divrei Torateka b'finu ufi amka b'tisrael. Ve'nia anaknu v'etzaetzainu v'etzaetzae amka b'tisrael, kulanu yodea shemeka ve'lomde Torateka lishma. Baruch atah Adonai hamlamed Torah le'amo Yisrael. Baruch haba b'shem. Adonai, Bimherabe Amenu, Roshodeshtov. Welcome to the Parsha Teruma C class, Avengers Assemble. I am Shomer Man, and I'm super excited to bring you some, get you some on this tour portion this week. We will be in Mark chapter 12, verses 35 through 44. But first, it's a brand new month. It's the month of Adar. So, I want to go ahead and just drop out some month of Adar from the Wisdom in the Hebrew Months. And this is volume two, because they're legit like that. They got a volume one and a volume two. Uh, They might as well just keep it going and get a volume three. I'm just saying, just, you know, why stop now? But uh, anyway, maybe they do have a volume three that I'm not aware of, and that's totally fine with me. But uh, we're just going to keep it rolling. So the month of Adar is a beautiful month. Our very own Rebbe has his Huledet this month on, uh, let me get the right date. I believe it is the fourth of Adar, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure that I don't jack this up. All right, let me... Scroll through my little Rolodex here. It is a dar. What? Come on now. Where are we at? Month of a dar. The Rebbe. Boom. Boom. Fourth of a dar. There we go, Baruch Hashem, the fourth of Adar, which if you're looking at your calendario, the fourth of Adar is going to be on Erev Shabbat, Erev Shabbat into Shabbat. So this upcoming Shabbat for Parashat Teruma is going to be the Rebbe's birthday for 5780. So, all right, Rebbe's Shabbat birthday, that's going to be off the Talit. His Gregorian birthday is going to be uh, manana, uh, February the 26th. So, uh, shouts out to the Rebbe, Captain Yisrael. Ayom yom huledet, ayom yom huledet, ayom yom huledet, Sameach. Ayom yom huledet, ayom yom huledet, ayom yom huledet, Sameach. Yom Hudelet Sameach Abba. So I just want to shout out to the cap turning one year younger. Baruch Hashem. Uh, we, we all grow younger. Anyway, the month of Adar. I want to go ahead and uh, throw out one more little uh, aside because we're going to spend some just uh, all this time talking about the Rebbe. The Lapita Rebbe. Uh, that uh, his parsha is Parsha Tedzave, 
and it's all about the priestly garments and how they bring atonement and there's the press for illumination the menorah oil and all that goodness and amazingness and the uh inner altar uh you're going to talk about that a little bit too so uh yeah so anyway there's all sorts of wonderfulness and the month of adar features purim which is like the first time he actually ever got to give a teaching and it's so awesome just all those connections and his name is mordechai yay <laughs> anyway so uh now on to our month of get you some the month of adar sometimes has two and if we have two months of Adar, when you see Adar 1, that is the extra month, not Adar 2. Because a leap year in the Jewish mind is called the pregnant year. It means to have an additional month that is giving birth. So something special is happening. This year we only have one Adar. So we were pregnant last time, but we're not this time. So anyway, uh, when there's Adar 1 and 2, you go with Adar 2 is the primary month of Adar, which is why Purim, if it should occur, or when, Slika, wow, if it should occur, really? Is that what we're going with? No. When it occurs in a pregnant year, i.e. a leap year, it will be during the second Adar, not the first Adar. But if you want to be all cray-cray and go beyond the letter of the law like we're supposed to, because Mashiach leads a bunch of cray-cray believers, like we get turned up. We're joyous, we're excited, we're redeemed, and we say so. And we live it, okay? Not being livid, but we live it, okay? Not Don't confuse the two. I know they sound alike, but they're different. Kind of like a homonym. Anyway, so the Adar 1 in a, a leap year would basically be like a mini Purim. So you, I mean, if you really want to wear your costume during Adar 1 and Adar 2, no one's going to be upset with you because it's like, why are you so all redeemed and whatnot? It's just like, well, why don't you get you some? You want to wear this costume? <laughs> no, you can't. You can get your own. Oh, wait, I'll help you get one. You know, whatever you want to do. Anyway, so that's important to know. So in this Sefer that I'm reading on the wisdom, it has a Dar 1 and then it has a Dar 2. So guess what we're going to read? A Dar 2. It says, Mazel. Shout out to Mazel. Shalom, Mazel. Okay. Mazel Dagim Bechinato Yosef. Wow. The mazel of the month of Adar is fish. Now, it just said Yosef, though, which is uh, the translation here says aspect of Yosef. So this month is all about the hidden one. All right, basically. So Sefri at 059 says the month of Adar, it, the mazel of the month of Adar is fish. So if mazel starts acting fishy, then I know why. Just trying to tip the scales. All right, which is not to be confused with the month of Tishrei, which is the month of scales, but it's different kind of scales. So going in on page 126 over here, it says Yosef and his offspring says to complete the analysis of the mazel of fish. We will focus on the words of Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev, Berdichev 
stating that the month of Adar is associated with the status of Yosef and his offspring. All right, y'all, Mashiach ben Yosef, right? Who, who's who been born anew through Mashiach ben Yosef? Don't raise your, I mean, raise your hand. Jump up and down. Do a wall flip and fly through the roof. Okay, this right here, this is associated with our status. You wonder why we're all turned up and and unashamed about everything uh, at Sar Shalom and Lapid Judaism about the month of Adar. This is why, because we're offspring of Yosef. Born again through the Lapid, the mediator of the new covenant, which is the same covenant as before. So really, what are we talking about with this mediator? Because he mediated the last one and the one before that and the one before that and the one that will come, you know, to uh, fulfillment, uh, which is the renewal, the complete renewal. Still the same thing. It's all Torah. It's all the voice of Hashem. It's all today hearing his voice and turning away from our sins and whatnot. OK, so anyway, it says it is well known that the 12 months of the year correspond to the 12 tribes and are represented by the 12 stones in the Choshen, which is the breastplate of the Kohen Gadol. The word Choshen has the gematria of 358, which is Mashiach. So Mashiach is the breastplate. This is why all 12 tribes are found in Mashiach, which is why when you do a bird's eye, bird's eye view of the encampments in the wilderness as we're traveling in the clouds of glory, it looks like a priestly blessed breastplate, a choshen, which is in Mashiach. So if you're in the tribes, you're in Mashiach. If you're in Mashiach, you're in the tribes. Okay. And uh, there is commentary um, let me go back to my little note here. I made a little thing because many people ask the question, well, what about proselytes? Are we in or are we out? And it's like, uh, yeah, you're in. But where? It depends. Because according to the C-Fray, there's a whole bunch of things brought down. It says uh, proselytes have no portion, but they do. Uh, because uh, it says, it says, Understand it as speaking of burial, that proselytes are allotted burial in Eretz Israel. And then it says dun, 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 that uh, Ezekiel Yehezekiel, my favorite prophet, shouts out to him. Can't wait to meet him in person. Uh, Yehezekiel 47.23, and it shall be with the tribe with which the proselyte dwells there shall you give his portion. So where are you dwelling at? Where are you hanging at? Where are you, where are you fellowshipping? Where are you socializing? That's the tribe you're with. Okay. And you even get burial plot in that land. Uh, and also it says a barbanel on this passage and you has a kill 47. It says that, um, it is only right converts who joined Israel in exile and suffered with them as Jews should also be considered part of Israel in the division of the land. So, you know, that thing where Yeshua, Yeshua says you cannot, you know, rule and reign with me if you have not suffered with me. Remember that? Well, Mashiach Yeshua didn't say that, but that was pinned as a, a statement to the Romans. But uh, yeah. So anyway, just something to think about. So tribes, right, in Mashiach, it says the month of Adar is associated with Yosef. Two tribes emerge from him, Ephraim and Manasseh. And it says, and 
Accordingly, there are many or there are in some years, two months of Adar. In addition, the month or the muzzle of Adar is fish, which is connected with Yosef. As Yaakov said in the blessing to him, they will multiply like fish within the land. Bereshis 48, 16. Indeed, the offspring of Yosef are likened to fish. Just as the fish in the ocean are concealed, so is it with the seed of Yosef. Yosef is a charming son, charming to the eye. Bereshit 49.22. What precisely is the connection between the mazel of fish and Yosef's descendants? So it gets into that and it basically says to gain insight into this, let us explore additional attributes associated with fish. Guess what? Here's a rabbi trail. They're like, all right, so what's the connection between the muzzle of fish and Yosef's descendants? Well, let's go to this swerve. Let's get some insight <laughs> on attributes associated with fish besides silent and concealment characteristics with which Hashem endowed them to protect them from danger and which people can study and emulate. So it's getting into all that, right? Going, emulating fish. And it says over here, the perspective of the eye. Uh, it says haven of formation, power of unity. Got to unite in groups. So after you get into all that, it says this. We can apply that to our avodat Hashem. Fish's eyes are ever functioning, so must man ever be vigilant, scanning in all directions, and battling against the evil impulse that is out to ambush him without pause. Okay, so this is one of the reasons why it's important to understand being a Avenger. You need to always be ready to throw down. So keep your eyes on a roll. Keep them peeled. Keep your eyes peeled. Eyes up. Stay focused. Be ready to suit up at any moment. This is partially why, well, I mean, really mostly why I, a Shummer man, always keep my suit on. <laughs> and if I don't, you know, it's right here. I'm a little, you know, I got a little button. I just push and my suit just comes on. Or I just think about it and it comes on. Either way, I always be ready to suit up. And it's called nanotech, and uh, y'all can all have that. So we all have nanotech. It's called Shema Yisrael. And complete it, you know, say those 12 words, and you are off to the ridiculousness. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, so much on the Shema, but we don't have time for that here on this podcast but just know if you really need to suit up look at the shema that's why yeshua says it's the greatest commandment and if you want extra cannons on your shema suit which is your avenger clothes uh you can add in the veahafta lareka kamoka which uh by the way uh when you look at that it is lehu which means and you shall go like go like go unto it you know, let them go kind of thing. Because uh, you're looking at the first letter of each word, ve, vav, uh, lareka. You got the lamed, uh, kamoka. You got the kaf. So you should love your neighbors. you love yourself. And all of that. So when you put the, the greatest commandments together, the 
the Shema and the love your neighbors, you love yourself. That's your super suit with all the the Hulkbuster type armor with it. All right. So anyway, scan always function. Evil impulse is always out to get you and it ain't holding up. It ain't letting up. So don't pull your punches. The next part says fish have highly developed senses of hearing and smell. All right, Wolverine. Shouts out to Hassin, uh, Mr. Ari. Shouts out to you because uh, you have acute hearing and sense of smell. So you're cheating because uh, you can smell and see things before we can. But we won't be jealous. We'll just ask you to let us know what's up if you smell something fishy or if you hear something coming that we need to be attentive to. So anyway. All right. So we must learn from fish to be ever alert out to outside forces hear appropriate items and not negative messages utilizing a keen sense of smell to fortify the spiritual items and direct the nashama to rule over material influences your smell is like the most spiritual part of your being and the smell has to do with your teshuva because that's the pleasing aroma that hashem smells so if you really want to talk about smelling right because mashiach is going to judge by smell that's our teshuva and the more teshuva we make the more and more we cause our neshama to be manifest in its power and give us the advantage over material influence. Don't let materiality influence you. You influence materiality. That happens through your teshuva. And when you're pushing away the negative and you're uh, being keen on everything that you're doing and making sure you're doing it for the right reasons and that you're not going off on people uh, for those who you feel like are doing less than they should. Give everyone their space. Uh, be an encourager. You know, uh, as one of the quotes was brought down, root for others and watch them grow, you know, kind of thing. And it's all sorts of pun in that. But anyway, uh, yeah. So with that being said, I just want to uh, point out that this month, of Adar we're supposed to increase in our Simka. And Simka is a is a very, very good word uh, to understand is different from Ashray, which is the word generally translated as happiness. And so um, hang on here. I'm going to, with the help of Hashem, pull up Simka on the heads up display here. Simka Spelled with a scene, simka, scene, yod, where are you at? Dictionary of the target memes happening right now. Trying to happen right now. Okay, here we go. Getting close. Simka. If you reach simza, you've gone way too far. And shishi, you've gone way too far. Okay, here we go. Shliak, Simka, 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 Simka. Come on, Simwa, Simur, Simush. Simka looks exactly like Mashiach, so I don't see why I don't see it. I need that, that, uh, chet. 
or maquette. A cat find it. A cat find it. Seem All right. Is this what we're going to do right now in public? Prep day tripping out on me? Or is it just the fact that I can't spell Simka? Let's go ahead and do scene mem cut. Seamka. I'm losing my Seamka. I'm not. I'm just kidding. I just want to say that. Alright. Uh, Samayak. Samak. One of these words is going to be the word that Seamka is based off of. Because we're getting into the root word. There it is. Seamka. Seen mem chet. Hey. Brukashim. Dictionary of Target Meme says joy, rejoicing, festive occasion, uh, like an extension of the wedding joy, uh, da, 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 da. the birth of a male child type joy. Oh, really? Is that what we're <laughs> Wow. The rejoicing on a festival. Okay. Have you heard the word be happy in this? Nope. Have not. But we've heard the word for joy. So when we look at increasing our simka, it's our festiveness. They were to be very, very festive, which is why um, one of the things that happens in Israel is, um, by the way, the word joy, feeling of great pleasure and happiness, rejoicing. Uh, give us some more information. Uh, the Da, da, da. See, a thing that causes joy and delight, pleasure, okay? That's what we increase in this month, okay? So this is why that custom I was getting ready to say, in Israel, wearing the Purim costume all week, uh, in the wellsprings of uh, Torah, it brought down that during the month of Adar that you can read the Megillah the whole entire month. So yeah, having a all out throwdown, get you some reading of the Megillah is totally uh, acceptable with your increase of joy. Um, let's see here. Give you a little another drop. Uh, Tani 29. It says, the Chazal says, when Adar arrives, we increase joy. Merovin be simka, like Rav simka. So it gets here, we increase simka, and it says, it does this beautiful juxtaposition of the month of Adar versus the month of Av, which is interesting because the temple destruction versus when people renewed the obligation of Torah upon ourselves, you know, in the uh, Purim story. And uh, Purim comes from the word for lots, and lots were actually cast to bring about destruction uh, from Haman, and those destructive lots were actually turned into joy, or shall we say, overturned. Um, from agony to joy, that's all on page nine. It says, the Mishnah Barur explains, this is learned from the Pasuk, 
the month that turned over from agony to joy. Thus, we see that the entire month of Adar is associated with joy and miracles of Purim. This is like Hanukkah and uh, the rebuilding of the Beit HaMikdash type stuff, which I guess is Hanukkah because they rededicated the temple, which if you really want to stretch it that way, it's like rebuilding a temple because you rededicated something that was previously defiled. Kind of like when a defiled body goes into the waters of a mikveh and it comes out as a new creation, you know, all that kind of stuff. This is the month of Adar. So, and it's like, all about the fish here and developing and all that kind of stuff. So could keep going on. Don't want to run out of time for our Mark passage, but I will say this because this is important that as we are continuing to hone in on the Jewish calendar, getting more and more savvy to the Rosh Hodesh, getting more and more savvy to the, the making sure we say the Kiddush Levana, the sanctification of the moon blessing, before the middle of the month, you know, as we get into this, the beautiful pun intended cycle of the months and the years, the more and more freedom we're going to experience because we're getting ourselves ready for the final redemption, which is when everything will be reinstated. We will actually be in the Beit HaMikdash bringing forth these offerings for the new month, for the festivals and for all the pilgrimages and things like that. So as we get more savvy to the time and all of that, that's the beginning of our freedom. Because if you follow the pattern, the first thing that happened to free us from Egypt was Rosh Hodesh. One of the main things that all tyrants throughout all of history and exiles one of the main things they've tried to do is get rid of Rosh Hodesh. If you don't know when Rosh Hodesh is, you don't know when any of the festivals are. Shabbat included. So if you can get rid of the Shabbat, if you can get rid of Rosh Hodesh, if you can get rid of the festivals, now you got slaves. Hmm. The very religion that proclaims, oh, we are so free and we're under grace. They're completely in slavery because they don't understand the times or the seasons, which is why the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. So let's not let's not do that. Let's just get on track here. Uh, we have this opportunity. Let's take advantage of it. And furthermore, uh, Avengers, let's lead out on this in a very, very like happy, excited and proud, like proud to be a Avenger. To get you some today. Okay, you want to be like that. No shame in our game. We're unashamed of the gospel, which is the freedom from this materiality and actually to overturn agony into joy and to bring about the final redemption because that's what we get to do if we so choose. I do. Anybody else with me? Okay, cool. All right, so anyway, it says, and our Sefer Ratz, Kids V, the months of the year, volume one, many pages were devoted to Yosef Hazadik, his character and his attachment to Hashem. Because by the way, Yosef Hazadik is called Ish Rosh Hodesh, literally the man of the new moon, the man of renewal. So um, that that's just like ridiculous, because the other thing is Orach, Aleph, Resh, Vav. Without putting in the Vav, because the technical way to spell Orach is Aleph Vav Resh Chet. But 
Aleph, Resh, Chet, you can still say is Orak, which is actually the word for our light. So uh, anyway, just to throw that out, that the, the man who's called the renewal is Yosef, and he's the man of our light, and he's the, the man of the new moon. So when Mashiach ben Yosef came, he was like the Rosh Hodesh, which means you could barely, barely see. Because you know when you when we uh, sight the new moon that you can't really see anything. You have to have a very, very trained eye, which is why there always had to be two witnesses. And that those people who saw it had to come back to the Sanhedrin to establish it. Like the Sanhedrin was like, all right, we know when the new moon is, but we're just giving the witnesses the opportunity. And the two witnesses, first of all, they have to be in agreement. And then they have to come into agreement with the Sanhedrin. So I'm just saying for those out there who say, oh, I saw the new moon. It's like, did you really? Because it already happened before you saw it. Because you have to know what the new moon looks like. By the way, this is one of the mitzvot that Moshe had to be divinely assisted by Hashem, just like he did with the menorah. Moshe had to be shown what the new moon looks like. So if Moshe had to be shown, but yet you think you don't have to, then why don't you go ahead and build a menorah and see how that works out? I mean, that was kind of harsh, but I mean, I, just, I don't know. I was just turned up and I just, one thing led to another. So, you know, I just, I just think it's important to, to not get carried away with thinking that we're so awesome and whatnot because we so easily fail. And it's like, not good. So let's stay with patterns. Let's stay in the sources. Let's stay in Echad with the sages. And when the Sanhedrin gets back, and Mashiach is obviously going to be in charge of everything uh, because that's what it's going to be. So let's roll with that. And let's not do our own thing. Let's not create any new religions. Let's not create any new theologies. But let's just stick with the facts. Okay. Rukashim. So, Yosef Hazadik, his character, his attachment to Hashem, all that distinguish him and raise him so high above the norm. In that essay, we cited many opinions regarding each or which tribe is associated with the month of Adar. Our discussion in these pages focuses on the characteristics of fish, reinforcing the view of Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Berdachev, on the topic, connecting fish with the mazel of Yosef Hazadik. Yosef is also associated with Midat Hayesod, which encompasses all Midot. So the, the uh, attribute of Yesod, which is the word for foundation, it says this encompasses all the other attributes with the broadest range of implications. With all this in mind, we indeed have much to learn from the qualities of fish and its many ramifications. Adapting to changes in setting and circumstance must serve as Shem in all places and situations. Unite in large schools. We must too join forces like Avengers to overcome enemies that threaten us. Okay? Keening or being keen in our sense of smell and hearing and battling our evil impulse at any moment in time. Uh, as one of the songs I wrote, uh, I'm an Autobot shifted from a Decepticon. I stay ready with all weapons drawn. Because that's how we need to be. Okay. So increasing our joy, the month of Adar, it is Parshat Taruma, and we're in... 
the writings of Mark. Uh, wow, where'd he go? Where did he go? Mark chapter 12, 35 through 44. So without further ado, let's get into the Mark 12, 35 through 44. All right, here we go. While Yeshua was teaching in the Beit HaMikdash, okay, Mashiach was at the temple. We should probably be at the temple. That's why we're praying for it to be rebuilt because Yeshua totally had no problem with it. He said, how is it that the Torah scholars say that the Mashiach is Ben David? Wow, that's an opening drosh for the ages. It's like, all right, everybody, get settled. Here comes the lecture. We say our bracha. We, we're already, okay, amen. How is it that the scholars say that Mashiach is the son of David? Okay, this is crazy, right? Because Mashiach has existed before creation, right? I was brought forth, you know, uh, where are we at? Mishle. Always got to talk about Mishle. Chapter 8, verse 23, or 22, I start in 22 and go into 23. Hashem made me at the beginning of his way. Literally, if you look at that word in the Hebrew, 22... Nisakti, I was set up, Meolam, from the, from everlasting or from eternity, Nisakti, Merosh, Mi Kadme, Aditz. Like, I'm, I'm the head of all, I am like ancient of days, I was set up from before everlasting, from before eternity. Alright, so even... From before the Olam Haba, which is eternity, by the way, the time to come, that uh, from before all that, I was set up as king, you know, telling type two stuff. You know, Psalm 2, uh, Hashem set him up as king. Let's go ahead and jump over to that. Boy, we're going to rabbit trail all day. Rabbi Trail, Sleeka, just posted that, Baruch Hashem, Rabbi Trailing, all right, uh, two, yes, uh, verse six, I myself anoint, have anointed my king over Zion, my holy mountain, I am obligated to proclaim that Hashem said to me, you are my son, I have begotten you this day. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. And we just said over here, Merosh me kadme adits, like from the from before the ancient of the earth, like I'm head over all that. And today I've begotten you, uh, says you are like a son. And a father customarily bequeaths his possessions to his children. You need only ask and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. The nations belong to me, but they can also belong to you. Oh, this is why Yeshua told us, Matthew 28. Go therefore into the nations because they now belong to me. And I need you to go make sure we get all the divine sparks. Because everybody needs to have the opportunity to come into covenant. Who's, who's in, who's out. 
Everybody gets that. Okay, so says you are my son. Says you are the leader of Israel. So when it says son of God, it literally means the king of Israel. There you go. This is in the art scroll Tehillim. I'm reading commentary. And then it says, because Israel depends on you, David, you're called my son. That's from Rashi. He who tries to resemble God in all of his ways and deeds is considered to be his son. That's from Mary. This is, uh, again, the art scroll Tehillim. And it says, to those who put their trust in Mashiach, he has given them the authority and the right to become sons of God. That's in Yochanan chapter 1. Then it says, Va'ani nasakti malki. I myself have anointed you, my king. Notice it says, I have anointed you. When nasakti means I have set up or I was created, I was made. At, back in our Mishlei, Proverbs 8.22, Hashem made me at the beginning of his way. Me'olam nasakti. So nasakti says made or anointed or set up. It's all the same. It says, How dare Hashem will chastise the nations? How dare you attempt to remove David after I have chosen and anointed him? That's from the Radak. Furthermore, rather than undermining David's authority, your rebellion will reinforce his power. The more you rebel against Torah, you're gonna you're gonna reinforce its power. Come on, man. Check it out. For now, I, Hashem, am forced to openly display my choice of David by destroying his adversaries. That's from the Malbim. That's ridiculous. Because so many people think replacement theology, dispensationalism, and all that wonderfulness. And the more that happens, the more and more you set yourself up as an adversary of Hashem. Hashem is going to be forced to display his power. He said before, this is my son in whom I will. Please listen to him, all that wonderfulness. But if you don't want to listen to that, okay, words are now going to become like very, very emphatic actions. But anyway, in our in our uh, proverb here, when it talks about nesakti me'olam, nesakti merosh, mi katme aritz, I have reigned since distant past from beginning, from before, uh, by the way, I meant to say uh, Adonai Kanani Reshit. Adonai made me at the beginning of his way. The word Kanani, which is acquired. So we got Kanani and Nasakti. And both of those are primary uh, actions. We're saying I acquired, I set up, I anointed, I took for myself kind of thing. So uh, that all has to do with what Hashem has done. So if we think get rid of the Torah, then we're saying get rid of Hashem's stuff, which I'm not I'm not comfortable with saying that. I'm not even comfortable making that comment. Get rid of Hashem's stuff like that. Just ooh. OK. Anyway, don't do it. Just stop. Don't. OK. God created the Torah. Before he created the world, that's from Rashi. Kanani literally means acquired me. By creating something, God acquires it. So that may be uncomfortable for people because they're like, Mashiach can't be created if he's from everlasting. But again, 
creation outside of creation, what does that really mean? And what does that really look like? If Hashem always was, is, and is to come, and yet there's going to be something that is one with him, the uh, the creating and the acquiring, so to speak, would be really just more revelation. So not really anything too crazy. Also says Torah served as a blueprint of creation. Torah begins with the words Bereshit Bara, which may be interpreted to mean with the Torah, which is called Reshit. God created the heaven and the earth. I've reigned since distant past. As one of the seven creations that preceded the creation of the world, the Torah's wisdom reigned before creation. All of that, right? So now, coming back to Mark chapter 12, verse 35, how can Mashiach be the son of David? Well, did we not just read in the commentary of the Tehillim that Hashem says, I have set you up, David. You are my king and you will reign forever. So Mashiach is the son of the king who reigns forever. Hmm. That's ridiculous, right? That's like, where do you even go with that? And so Mashiach follows it up in verse 36. David himself through the Ruach HaKodesh said, Adonai, talking to his son, sit, or Adonai said to Adonai, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. That is from Telling 110, verse 1, Telling 109, verse 1. It says, A psalm of David, Adonai declares to Adonai, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Go back, 109. For the music director, a psalm of David, O God of my praise, be not silent. Okay. So there's that. All right, so we're going to go with 110.1. Get some commentary there. Because this is going to help us to understand what Mashiach is really getting at. Uh, it says, sit in my right hand. Let's see this. Okay. Hashem said to Abraham. Oh, so now we're talking about Abraham. Are we talking about David or are we talking about Abraham? There's that. Your efforts and prowess are unnecessary in this campaign. Sit back and wait for me to vanquish the enemy. There's, wow. Okay. Adonai said to Adonai. Are we going to be able to talk about that? Adonai. La Adonai Shev. Adonai La Adonai. Okay. We are... Cricket, cricket, it looks like for Adonai, Le Adonai. Okay, that's okay. I have more than one book that comments on the Tehillim. So, helps if I read it up right, not upside down. Okay, Adonai said to Adonai. Okay, here we go. Says our sages have taught. The Sanhedrin 108b. After Abraham defeated Amraphel, the kings who were his allies. The kings and the kings who were his allies. Okay. Abraham defeated Amraphel and the kings who were his allies. Other kings asked Abraham's servant, Eliezer, How did Abraham defeat such a vast army with just a few men? Eliezer responded, 
God said to my master, Abraham, sit securely in anticipation of the Yeshua of my right hand. I shall not rest until I make your enemies trod upon like a stool for your feet. That's from the Medzudot. Abraham and Mashiach, in the future, God will place Mashiach on his right and Abraham on his left. When Abraham will wonder about this arrangement, God will appease him saying, yes, your descendant Mashiach is on my right, but I am on your right. Thus, your humility made me great. God's humility will make Abraham great. And it says Mashiach's greatness will derive from his ancestor, Abraham, who was first to reveal the light of God in the world. Now, that's the beginning, okay, of Mashiach's talking here. And he says, if David calls him Adonai, in what way is he his son? And the large crowd was listening to him with delight. And I love the fact that this is a section of Basor that we're reading at the very, very beginning of Adar, which is where we're supposed to be increasing our delight, our pleasure, our joy festivity for this month. Because as you're listening to Mashiach explain Tehillim 110, I mean, it's just like, wow. So it's just kind of like, what do you even do with that information? You know, because we're talking about David speaking of his son as Adonai. So it doesn't really explain anything else after that. It it kind of goes off into something else. So what a, a cliffhanger this is going to be because there's literally no more text to really dive into because it just says in what way, you know, is Ben David, you know, the son of David. And it's just kind of like, wow. So one of the things I think about is uh, there is a book about uh, Mashiach being called the greater David. And again, we learned about uh, over here in our um, Tehillim art scroll that not the Tehillim Kehot, the big green book, but the little blue book says that the son is one who emulates the the father. And so Mashiach is basically emulating David, who is a man after God's own heart. But the crazy thing about that is David sinned, but yet made Shuva. Mashiach didn't sin, but yet made Shuva. So when you look at this aspect of greater David, again, that's a drop from what the rabbis know, Slika, about Messiah. That's a wonderful book. Again, the incredible Talmud, Professor Talmud gave that to me. So uh, I always bless him every time I think about it. So Hakadosh Baruch may you bless my Havivi for giving me that book. Um, but yeah, so it just talks about how this David is before the beginning. And he's a greater David. You can add a Yod into the name of David between the Vav and the Dalit, the, the second Dalit that is. So to be Dalit, Vav, Yod, Dalit, be David. And uh, that takes the Gematria from 14 to 24. And then when you look at 24, there's considered to be 24 books of the Tanakh. So the word of God made flesh, correct? Yeah. 
So the 24 books of the Tanakh, when they became a person, is the greater David. And then you got the the whole aspect of, um, yeah, so 14 plus 10. Yeah, that's 24. The 24 uh, gifts that are given to the priesthood. Here we go. Wisdom of the Numbers. I'm flying all around and I'm like, I was about to get sickness from everything because I was upside down for a minute. And I'm like, wait, what's what? <laughs> Wasn't expecting it to fly like this. Says the altar and the priestly gifts. The number of priestly gifts is 24. The altar, one of the components in the main chamber of the Mishkan, exemplified the crown and symbol of the Kehuna. In the sacrificial offerings brought in the dedication of the Mishkan, a total of 24 bulls. We're talking about the dedication of the Mishkan. Total of 24 bulls for the feast off for the feast peace offerings were placed on the Mizbeach. The measurements of the Mizbeach HaKitorit, the golden altar, it says were one cubit, which is six hand breaths, by one cubit, six hands breaths. And it says if one were to encircle the perimeter of the Mizbeach with a thread symbolizing or to symbolize grasping its essence, this measure would measure to the total of 24 hand breadths. Furthermore, there were 24 rings to the north of the Mizbeach employed in the slaughter of the sacrificial animals and eight pillars with three iron hooks, which is eight times three, equaling 24, used to hang and fillet the slaughtered animals. Goodness gracious. The altar stuff and the priestly gifts being 24. 24 is associated with Baruch Hashem because there are 24 letters in the well-known phrase, Baruch Hashem Kevod Makuto Leolam Vayed. Blessed be the name of his glorious kingdom forever and ever. We recite this in the Shema daily. 24 is associated with peace. It's found a total of 24 times in the Humash. Uh, conflict is synonymous with divisiveness where two or more parties are in dispute. By contrast, Shalom is conceptually synonymous with unity. Again, think about the month of Adar being the fish and the fish being unified in schools says it is when all individuated parts are integrated back into one whole. Then it says significantly the individual functions within the diverse parts, then systematically combined. Every one of the 24 hours in a day must be dedicated in the service of God. A servant obliged to dedicate his 24 tips of limbs to his master. Every Jew systematically uses all 24 individuated parts of a full sect or group, such as 24 watches, 24 books of the Tanakh, towards one end, proclaiming unity and kingship of God. The Talmud relates that on his deathbed, Yaakov was concerned that the departure of the Shekinah indicated a blemish in one of his children. To allay these fears, the 12 tribes of Israel unanimously recited the Shema. We affirm that Hashem is the one and only. In response, Yaakov responded the phrase, 
Baruch Shem Kavod Makutale Alam Bayid, which contained 24 letters. This pronouncement encapsulates man's mission of creation. He must divide the universe into 24 parts to arrange his actions. But these actions are all meant to unite, to give glory to the one God. 24. And should we say 2 plus 4 is 6? And 6 represents the Torah. That's why the Vav was added to Yitro's name to make it Yitro. And then the Vav represents the six things that the Torah are as enumerated in Tehillim 19. And so you go on from there and from there and from there. So the son of David, because he is the greater David, so the one who perpetuates the uh, service and teshuva unto Hashem, Mashiach being a Zadik who made teshuva, it's like, how do you cause a Zadik to make teshuva? And it's like the, the Zadik can make teshuva on behalf of those who he intercedes for, because we all have to have a Zadik that we attach ourselves to, which is why we believe in Mashiach, which is why Judaism teaches that there is a such concept as a Mashiach, someone who can make atonement for those who are underneath his teaching in his wings. So, Anyway, this is a, probably another reason why um, different sects of Judaism are okay if you have a belief in a Mashiach that's not, quote-unquote, the accepted Mashiach. Like, you know, whether you believe in Rabbi Nachman or, you know, Schneerson or, you know, even Rabbi Akiva led people to believe in Bar Kokhba and all that kind of stuff. And we know that Bar Kokhba was not a true Mashiach. He was actually a false Mashiach. But that's for another time. Anyway, but you can believe in just about anybody as your Mashiach except Yeshua, which is a red flag, by the way, because it's just like, wait, out of all these other people who got sick and died and did not raise the dead, you want to tell me that the one who never got sick and the one who never died, even though he died, you want to tell me that's not the Mashiach? That's, you know, do we really want to talk about this? But anyway, so... How is he the son of David? You know, there's a lot of information just thrown at you. Okay, moving on. It says in his teaching, he said, because this is where Mashiach goes right after he asked that question. He says in his teaching, he said, watch out for the Torah scholars who like to walk around in long robes. By the way, this is where people, when they lengthen their zizit, like super long zizit, if your ZZ are lower than your calves, if your ZZ are touching your ankles or touching the ground, goodness, trim them, okay? There are special ceramic scissors you're supposed to buy. Trim your ZZ, okay? You know those are not kosher ZZ, by the way, because it's impossible for them to not get frayed at the ends. And if you have frayed ends on your ZZ, you have to trim them. Again, no metal is to be used on trimming your ZZ. So standard scissors do not work. They, mesh, they make special scissors for that. So shouts out to Stav Soldat who pointed me in that direction and hooked me up with a pair. But anyway, going on to say, okay, so watch out for people who do that. That's not good. Okay, and then it says uh, they like greetings in the marketplaces. Okay. Oh, please tell me Shalom Aleichem so I can say Aleichem Shalom, peasant. You know, they want to lord themselves over you in their greeting like, oh, you think you greeted me? Well, let me greet you back and make you feel like less than a hair tall. You know, it's just kind of like watch out for people like that. You know, a simple greeting is totally fine. Shalom. 
or Shalom Aleichem. Aleichem Shalom or Shalom. Shalom. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Great. Ask me about my day. Like when people get into that, don't do like they're they're incriminating themselves. Okay. Uh, the other thing it says the best seats in the synagogue. They like them and the places of honor at feasts is like, please acknowledge me. Put me at the head of everything. I want to be highly visible to everyone. Like when people get into those modes, because there's a thing today in some synagogues where you buy your seat uh, based off of the dues that you pay. And when the holiday comes up, it's like, oh, this seat goes to the highest bidder. It's just kind of like, okay, so you're setting yourself up for some uh, bad pitfalls with that. Not that that's wrong, but, you know, if a person's so used to, oh, I bought the highest paying seat. It's like, don't tell me your Yatahara is not going to flare up and like go off on you. Okay, so I'm going to do a uh, second segment here. So stand by. Okay, so and then it goes on to say, they devour widows' houses. Okay. Don't really want to get into that, but just seriously, a woman who's already like dealing with the loss of a husband and like she just really doesn't have, you know, much that she's really kind of, you know, right side up and stable about. I mean, think about mourning your only spouse, you know, kind of thing. Like you've been with this person for lots of years and now all of a sudden they're gone. Like imagine that, right? All sorts of dynamics change. And it's like, oh, great. That's the perfect candidate. I'm going to go to that person. I need to take everything that they got. I need to take all their time. I need to take all their money. I need to take all their resources. I need to take all their possessions. Like whatever I can get from this person, I'm going to suck them dry. Okay. Obviously that goes without saying that that got to watch out for people like that. Uh, those are the kind of people we take down in love, <laughs> you know, with extreme force. All right. So anyway, um, and make long prayers as a show. All right. So if a person is davening, right, they're leading the prayer and it's just like, it's going on and on and on and on. Okay. There. Nope. Okay. It goes and it goes and it goes, and it goes, and it's like, it's been like 25 minutes, and they're still praying, and it's just like, seriously, dude, like, the Siddur has already, like, I prayed all the extra prayers in the Siddur, and you're still publicly praying longer than me, like, what is this, you know, unless it's Yom Kippur, you don't really have a reason to be doing that, unless you're really going through something, and then again, you wouldn't be publicly taking over a service, you know, kind of with that. But anyway, so long prayers. And again, as a show, they, they say big words, they, uh, you know, put rhythm to it. They, you know, cry with it, or they just start talking really softly like this. Oh, Hashem. Oh, yes. We just praise you. Yes. You know, and it gets quieter and quieter. And you're like, what is he saying? Why is this happening right now? Can we get on with it? You know, and you kind of feel bad for saying that because it's like this is a prayer time. It's supposed to be like really holy and intimate and whatnot. Anyway, those kind of people you want to watch out for. Because why? It says these men will receive greater condemnation. 
Now, this is really poignant because Parashat Taruma, everybody is giving of themselves as Hashem has moved on their hearts. A person who's just giving for the sake of, look how much I gave. Okay, that's the kind of stuff you don't want. Because that's tempered with haughtiness and arrogance. It's like, psh, if you didn't have my donation, none of your little shenanigans would have happened. It's like, first of all, these aren't shenanigans. And second of all, we don't need your money. Hashem doesn't need your money. Hashem gave you that money. And besides, if you're not giving with a cheerful heart, to quote Paul, a.k.a. Shaul, or BKA, better known as Shaul, um, that's the only way you should be giving, by the way. Don't ever give with like these people. Ah, if they didn't have my portion, you know, then they'll be out. You know, if you're giving like that, stop what you're doing, return to Yeshua and start from there. Or if you're like, oh, my gosh, I got to give to Hashem again. Again, stop what you're doing, return to Yeshua and start from there. You need to give out of the overflow of your heart. Even your tithe should come out of a, oh my goodness, I get to give to Hashem? Are you serious? Come on, man. No candle or no fire flame that ever lights another fire flame do you ever hear yelling out, oh my gosh, you're taking all my light. What's wrong with you? If you struck a match and it said that, I mean, come on, man, that'd be so weird. Kind of cool, but really weird at the same time. But it's like, dude, you're fire. You're not going to be diminished. You're just spreading yourself. You're duplicating yourself. It's like Hashem talking to Hashem. It's like there's not really any uh, diminution there. Okay. You're not waxing and waning. You're fine. Now calm down and light my candle, please. You know, anyway. So, yeah, that's one thing. Now getting into 41. We have four verses left. We can do this. He sat down opposite the treasury and began watching people, how the people were putting money into the offering box. Wow. Yeshua is watching how people are giving. Oh, my word. This is so great. This is so great. Yeshua is watching. Okay, it says, they're putting money in the Zadaka box. So many rich people were putting in a lot. So the rich people were like, I'm making it rain. Like the whole like hold of money in your palm of your hand and you're just swiping it with the other hand like you do when you're on Facebook. You're just swiping, swiping up the phone. People are like doing that into the Zadaka box. It's like, dude, this is not a casino. Like, why are you even... Oh, yeah, man, I'm about to pay my shekels. Like, I got this. It's like, okay, that's not good. Then it goes on to say, uh, then a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins worth less than a penny. Of course, our Gregorian, Roman, Greek, whatever you want to call it, mentality, how much is a penny worth? You know, we find these things on the street. But yet there's a, a offering that you can give that's less than that. So going on, it says, calling his Talmudim over. Mashiach is like, oh, this is right here. This is a teaching moment. He calls his Talmudim over. Notice he didn't put her on blast, but he didn't go, oh, hey, you lady. 
Hey, Shalom. I'm the Mashiach. How you doing? Uh, Mashalom Ek. You know, because you're a woman. I get to say Mashalom Ek, not Mashalom Ka, because I say that to a guy. But anyway, you didn't see any of that happen. Mashiach didn't make a big scene, but he said, no, my Talmudim, my inner circle. Because by the way, when Mashiach says to them, i.e. the public, I speak in parables to you, I reveal secrets. So here's a to you, I reveal secrets moment. A very come away, uh, you're not the general public, you're not the people who are walking around with their own theology on top of their head and led by, you know, their own spirit and whatnot. Uh, these type of people who are the the few, the brave, the chosen. He said to them, Amen, I tell you, this poor widow has put more than all those contributing to the box. So Yeshua is, is basically saying that Zadaka is not about amount. It's not about quantity. It's about quality. It's about the heart. It's about the stirring that is causing the giving and what's being given. Okay. And it goes on to say, or he goes on to say, for they all put in from their surplus. Everybody say from their surplus. Okay, if you're giving from your surplus, hey, Yofi, you know, good job. That's amazing. But it's your surplus. There's nothing sacrificial about it. It's like a second thought. It's like, oh, I bought all this food and I got all this extra money left over. Of course, I'm going to buy a candy bar from the impulse buy section as I'm checking out. Why not? I done bought all this other stuff, you know, and I'm not hurting for money. So why not get two Snicker bars? It's like, what? That's nothing. Okay. Like, okay. Because what does he say? He says, but she out of her poverty put in everything she had her whole living. This woman right here has exemplified the Akedah. Go back to Abraham. Abraham did not have another son. He only had Yitzhak. But yet, that's what Abraham gave to Hashem. Yitzhak only had his one life. And that's what he gave to Hashem. Okay, so when we're looking at this offering here, like when you're willing to give everything that you have, that's what Mashiach was like telling his Talmudim. This right here, she's done more than everybody up in here. People have given like $6,000, okay, for lack of better terms, because the rich people giving all that stuff. They've given like so much money. Like this, like ridiculous, like the box is about to tip over because it's like they put so much in there. But this woman came and broke the box because she gave two small copper coins. Seriously? Okay, so why is this a thing? So if we go to Parsha Taruma and the Midrash Rabbah, which I will attempt to do here. It gets into this discussion about the giving and it talks about pinkus and all sorts of wonderful stuff. And 
All wealth ultimately belongs to God is what it gets into. Uh, so I'm not going to read that, though, because that's where it gets in the Pincus and the Korok, because Pincus was super rich and all that kind of stuff. Um, God dwells among the people. Torres, good act. Okay. Let them take for me a portion. All right. So it says this. This is to, this is uh, Midrash Rabbah 33.1. This is to be understood in light of what is written, for I have given you a good teaching. Lechak. Do not forsake my Torah. Mishlei 4.2. By the way, the Torah is called good. When you read that proverb, Lechak Tov, it's all about the Torah being called good because the teaching of the Torah is good because it's the teaching of Hashem, who is the one who is good. So when the person came to Yeshua and said, good teacher, and he says, why do you call me good? There's none good but Hashem. It's like, I'm just letting you know you're calling me the Torah right now. You're calling me the word of Hashem, the teaching of Hashem, i.e. the Mashiach. Okay, anyway, it says this verse means do not forsake the acquisition, which is michach. And it says that I have given you, namely the Torah. The Midrash interprets lechak, translated here as teaching, here to mean acquisition, a purchase, and the verse cautions us not to forsake the good acquisition that God has given us, the Torah. And it goes on to say many people forsake the Torah, by the way, so it's just kind of like, so Hashem says, don't forsake my Torah, but yet people go, yeah, forsake the Torah. It's like, are we going to listen to people or are we going to listen to Hashem? And then it goes on to say, and why is this Torah referred to as a good acquisition? Because sometimes there is a person who purchases an acquisition that contains gold, but does not contain silver. Or sometimes it contains silver, but does not contain gold. However, God says the acquisition that I have given you, the Torah, contains silver as it were, as it is stated, the words of Hashem are pure words like purified silver, Tehillim 12, 7. And it also contains gold, as it is stated concerning the words of Torah. They are more desirable than gold, than even much fine gold. Gets into the Torah being um, a good acquisition. And then we get into our concept of wealth over here. Uh, boom, boom, boom. Where is it here? There we go. Scripture states, you took gifts of man. Again, this is 33.2 now. It says, indicating that God said to Israel, I consider it as if I have given the Torah to you as a gift. Unlike when selling one of his possessions, when a person gives an object as a gift to a loved one, he does it with a full heart without even a modicum of distress. So the gift of salvation, the gift of Torah, like same thing. Okay. And then it says, the Holy One, blessed be he, said to Moshe, what do the non-Jews say in the wake of the sin of the golden calf? They say, 
that I will never, that I will, that I will not ever return to dwell among Israel because they have worshipped idolatry. As is stated regarding the incident of the golden calf, they have strayed quickly from the way that I have commanded them. They have made themselves a molten image, devouring nine twelve. But this is not true. For even if at times they are rebels, I do not ever abandon them and I will continue to dwell among them. Thus it is stated, even rebels to dwell with Yah, God. And this is born out of the fact that God here in Shemot 25 commands Moshe and Israel to build the tabernacle for his dwelling place. The sages are of the opinion that the command to build the Mishkan occurred only after the sin of the golden calf, as seen clearly from this Midrash, as well as many other sources. So Shem is like, I'm going to dwell with you, but I'm going to dwell with you in the form of uh, forgiveness and repentance, because that's what the Mishkan leads us into doing, right? Okay, so... God dwelling on earth. Let's get into the giving, though. The Midrash continues with an analysis of the Chronicles passage. Uh, where are we at? Chronicles. Where did they drop? First Chronicles 29, 11. Even everything in heaven is also on earth. The creations of earth parallel those in the heaven. So wealth and honor comes from you. In verse 12, it says that. It says, and it also states in a similar vein, mine's is, or mine is the silver and mine is the gold, the word of Hashem, master of legions, Haggai 2.8. Now we're in 33.5. Another interpretation and let them take from me a portion. This is to be understood in light of that, or in light of what is written, a good name is preferred over wealth and goodly favor over silver and gold. Mishlei, Proverbs 22. So there's a few examples brought up. Uh, talking about the wealth of Korah. Korach. Talking about Pinchas. Says the Holy One, blessed be he. Then said, I know who is prepared for this matter. Now. What is written in Proverbs after this verse, the horse is ready for the day of battle, but salvation, Yeshua, is Hashem's. And it says, Rabbi Yossi said, the verse means, Pincus, Phineas, expounded regarding himself as follows. Now, if a horse devotes himself entirely to his master on the day of battle, for even if that means he will surely die, he will devote himself entirely to his master. This is Pincus speaking, by the way, who some say are, is Eliyahu. Then I, who am standing up for the sanctity of the name of the Holy One, blessed is he, must all the more so be willing to devote myself to him, even at the risk of my life. This is why Yeshua keyed his Talmudim into this woman, who this, this poor widow, and she gave this offering. He's just like, this woman gave all that she was. He just talked about 
the people who want to lord themselves over everybody. You know, they walk around long ZZ, greetings in marketplace, want the best seats in synagogues. It says they devour widows' houses. That's verse 40. And then in verse 42, a poor widow comes in and gives the coins. She devoured herself. It's not about devouring the widow, but it's about the widow devouring herself. And when, when a person does that, it's just kind of like, wow, even at the risk of my life, I will devote myself to Hashem. That's some pinkest stuff. And then it says, uh, going down a little bit, it's talking about Mordecai is preferred. The good name of Mordecai is preferred over the wealth of Haman. Rabbi Yoshia said, what did that wicked man Haman do? He took out all the silver and gold that he possessed and gave it to Achashverosh, king of Hazarus, to purchase permission to destroy the Jews. But Hakadosh Baruchu said to Haman, by your life, Goodly favor is preferred over silver and gold. By which he meant the favor of Esther is preferred by Achashverosh over your riches. For it is stated Esther found favor in the eyes of all who saw her. Esther 2.15. So Haman was like the rich people here in um, verse 41 of Mark 12. And... Yet the poor widow being like Mordecai, being like Esther, we, we've been giving half shekels. But Haman is giving copious amounts of silver and gold. But yet what's preferred? Esther and Mordecai. The good name is preferred over the wealth. The footnote, it says Mordecai's good name that he earned through saving the king's life triumphed over Haman's riches. For in the end, Haman was forced to lead Mordecai through the streets of Shushan and proclaim his honor to all. So here we have the juxtaposition of someone who feels like they're super rich and baller. Like that person is not preferred over the one who doesn't consider themselves rich and quote unquote baller. But yet they give everything that they have. Lapid, is this us? Those of us who didn't grow up in Jewish households feel like, man, I don't I don't even know too much Hebrew. I barely know three letters, but yet I give God my whole entire being. I make myself into a living sacrifice. I ask daily for my mind to be renewed. I try to repent as much as I possibly can. I make teshuva after my teshuva on top of teshuva. I live every moment of my day in as much as repentant as possible. I don't do all three prayer times every day, and I don't quite wrap to feeling all the time. I don't really know how to wrap to feeling. I put my keep on upside down. I put my ZZ on upside down. My shirt's inside out. Is this you, Lapid? Do you feel poor, but yet you're giving all that you have? Well, consider yourself in the ranks of Esther and Mordecai and consider yourself as taking down Haman, i.e. wiping out and blotting out the memory of Amalek, because that's what we have to do. We have to devote our whole entire life to Hashem, even if it kills us, which again is the Shema. And just like Pincus said, the horse is ready for the day of battle. It submits itself to um, its master's will. And yet the horse could die because it does that. So 
it still does. And so, therefore, if a horse can do that, how much more so should I, as a servant of Hashem, do that? Because why? Because Hashem is the one who is the life and the resurrection. I mean, Mashiach, Yeshua, is the life and the resurrection. But where did he get that from? Well, then we just read about my Lord said to my Lord, because it says he asked of you life and life everlasting. Because, you know, in Tractate Sukkah 52, it says Mashiach ben David asked life life of Hashem so that he could resurrect the Mashiach ben Yosef who would be slain in battle. So all of that to take into consideration. And I want to end with a drop from the Baal Hatorian about our giving. It says, let's see, and let them take from me a portion. Vayik hu li teruma. And let them take from me a portion. God said, make for me a place for a sanctuary, which will be one fiftieth the size of the Temple Mount, just as Teruma, which on average is one fiftieth of the crop. Talk about faith of a mustard seed, right? Talk about what did this widow give? Two small copper coins. For the temple mount was 500 cubits by 500 cubits, a total of 250,000 square cubits. And the courtyard of the sanctuary was 100 cubits by 50 cubits, a total of 5,000 square cubits. One fiftieth of an area, 500 cubits by 500 cubits. So the Torah has juxtaposed the final word of the preceding portion, Lila, which is nights. If you go with 24 verse 18, let them take from me a Teruma, which is our verse of our opening verse of our Torah portion, says, and thus alluded to the time that Teruma might be eaten, which is at night. Oh, and nighttime, by the way, is synonymous with exile. Okay. Yeshua says, let us work while it's still day for night is coming. Right. OK, so at night is when we eat Teruma. Says, as the Mishnah states, from from when may we recite the evening Shema from the time the Kohanim entered to partake of the Teruma. So did you know when you begin to do your Ma'ariv service, you are in a sense partaking of the spiritual Teruma, i.e., being like a Kohen who enters in to eat of Teruma. Because after the day's work is done, now we're going to partake of that portion of Teruma from the Korbanot. And it says, which the Gemara explains is the time the stars appear. And this is some Barakot 2A stuff. And the footnote says, this rule although Rashi states that this rule applies to Kohenim who had contracted Tuma impurity and had immersed in a mikvah to purify themselves. The Zohar Mishpatim 101a derives from the verse after the sun has set, he shall become purified. Thereafter, he may eat from the holies, which is the Teruma, right? And it says, Vayikra 22 7, Leviticus 22 7, that the ideal time for the Kohenim to eat Teruma is at night. So the greatest time for us to make ourselves into 
giving everything that we are unto Hashem is at night during the exile. So now the final, final thing that I want to say, I want to got to drop, uh, you know, Benny B here from Ladder of Jacob. Uh, the getting into Sefer Vayikra, the book of Vayikra, we're going to be learning about the uh, the different uh, sacrifices. And um, we learn about this, uh, the different offerings that you give and that the offering size is not really the point. So let me see here. Yeah, the Midrash echoes the offering of the widow, uh, Mark 12, 41 through 44. So the Midrash Rabbah here says, An ox was once being led to a sacrifice, but would not budge. A poor man came along with a bundle of endive in his hand. He held it out towards the ox, which ate it, and then allowed itself to be led to sacrifice. In a dream, it was revealed to the owner of the ox. The poor man's sacrifice superseded yours. Once a woman brought a handful of fine flour, and the priest despised her, saying, See what she offers. What is there in this to eat? What is there in this to offer up? It was shown to him in a dream, do not despise her. It is regarded as if she had sacrificed her own life. Menachote 110a says, It is said of a large ox, a fire offering, a sweet savor. Of a small bird, a fire offering, a sweet savor. And of a meal offering, a fire offering, a sweet savor. This is to teach you that it is the same whether a person offers much or little. Key phrase. So long as he directs his heart to Shemaim. Menachot 110a. The key here is that one's heart must be right in offering a Corban. Amen. Let us offer ourselves as Corban with our hearts directed to heaven, which is Lishma for its own sake. We do everything we do for the sake of heaven. And as newborn babes born again get you some avengers let's lead the world into being sweet aromas unto hashem baruch haba b'shem adonai baruch atah adonai eloheinu melech haolam asher natan lanu torah temet Vekaye olam natabetokenu, Baruch atah Haronai, Noten ha Torah.